Um, I did put the date that I reviewed everything where I, I literally go through the Iowa code before I give this this talk. The reason for that is it changes every year, so watch out. Uh, and it's very different in different states, and that I'm going to uh, make that point a little bit later. Um, one thing to understand is that legislators usually are not lawyers, and often the legislation is written in a way that can be quite confusing legally, and sometimes there are contradictions within the code, and that's just the way it happens. So, um, okay, I'm just going to s sort of bring up a few thoughts uh, to get you thinking about why this might be important to you at all. Um, it, and what I'll do is just present the cases uh, and then talk, and then we can go back to the cases. Since I'm starting 10 minutes behind, it might be a little bit crunched at the end. But anyway, let's say an 11-year-old is brought in for evaluation of dysuria. You culture the vaginal discharge and find gonorrhea. What do you do? How about if, in the process of evaluating a 12-year-old, her mom steps out and she says that she wants to have some contraceptive advice? Not in those words for a 12-year-old, but you know what I mean. <laughs> okay. 13-year-old uh, said that she was real sad about her parents' recent divorce. She was in tears most of the visit. Usually, the reason for coming in might be abdominal pain or severe headache, okay? She's not suicidal, but the questions or the questionnaire that you give her suggests that she really does have a major depressive disorder. But she doesn't want the parents to know because her mother's depressed, her father's angry, and says, we don't air our dirty laundry in public. Are you able to treat or not treat? 14-year-old says that he wants to be tested for everything. How often do you get asked that? <laughs> Pretty often, I do. Um, and because he's had sex with lots of different partners and hasn't been using condoms. 15-year-old has nausea vomiting for the last three weeks, and yes, she is pregnant. And she says, tell me who I can go to for an abortion. Are there any legal issues related to that that we might uh, be find important? But then as you talk, you find that the father of the fetus is the high school track coach. And hey, we're in love, and we're planning on getting married when I graduate. What do you do? 16-year-old <laughs> brought in following a minor motor vehicle accident. She says that she drinks socially at parties and acknowledges that, yeah, sometimes she can't remember driving home. But hey, I can control my drinking. It's not a problem. What do you do there? 17-year-old comes to the ER with a deep laceration of her leg from broken glass while washing dishes. Parents are out of town, can't be reached. What do you do? Adult aunt brings in her 15-year-old nephew visiting from out of town for evaluation and treatment of fever, sore throat, and cough. Are you able to treat or not treat? 17-year-old brought in by his older brother. Severe right lower quadrant pain, rebound tenderness. Parents are off in Europe, can't be reached. 14-year-old smoking pot, flunking out of school. You're finally able to convince him that this might be a problem for him. And uh, he does agree to see, uh, have uh, substance abuse counseling, but he doesn't want his parents to know. Is that something that you can keep quiet or not? Okay, so we'll talk 
about all of these legal issues. Uh, first hundred years of US, parents had complete autonomy over children who were considered literally property or chattel. At the end of the 19th century with industrialization, lots of kids were put into factories. Uh, and people realized that that was not a good idea. Um, it became the era of child welfare. Children were finally recognized as individuals and at times needed to be protected from their parents' abuse. That is the time when juvenile courts got established and labor laws were begun. Now in terms of just general uh, legal rights for children, again, uh, minors aren't allowed to make contracts. And common law held that to treat a minor without parental consent is to commit unauthorized touching or assault and battery. That's still true, but it's more complex, as you know. So what we're going to talk about are issues of consent, confidentiality, and who pays for all this. Now, there's something that you've probably all heard of that's called a mature minor, minor doctrine. And that's an unofficial legal concept which says that a minor can understand the risks and benefits of the treatment and therefore can agree to go ahead and get uh, treated. By saying that a person is a mature minor, it may facilitate care when parents aren't available. And uh, the thought is that health protection supersedes parental dominion and control. But it is not legal. What is legal is what's described as an emancipated minor. This has been common law tradition uh, since the US was begun. But again, differs by state. It, if a person is considered an emancipated minor, that means it relieves the parents from all legal liability or support. Parents don't have to pay if their child is emancipated. It grants the minors adult rights and they can enter into binding contracts. So now part of the reason that I've put these sections isn't for your benefit necessarily, but this allows me to go back exactly and, and touch base and make sure that nothing has changed when in fact a lot of times those things have changed and I have to change the section. But in Iowa law, of course, when you reach 18, you're an adult. If you become married, you're an adult. Now, you can't get married before age 18 without parental consent. You have to be 16 with parental consent to be married. But when, if you happen to be married, then yes, you're an adult. If you're tried, convicted, and sentenced as an adult, and you're in custody, you can make decisions, the minor can make decisions, and give consent for whatever services or care during that period of incarceration. So the guy's coming in in shackles and orange suits, they can um, consent to whatever you, however you want to treat them in terms of medical issues. Um, now, if they would happen to get out of prison before they were 18, which is unlikely because anybody who's tried as an adult, usually it's for something horrendous that they want to put them away for a long time. But if they would come out, they're a minor again. So it's just at that period of time when they're in custody that they are. Uh, no, it, it's if they're tried, convicted, and sentenced as an adult. Yeah, only if they're sentenced as an adult. How married and now Oh, that's an excellent question. I don't even know. Yeah, <laughs> right. 
I am guessing that they would in fact be emancipated. Yeah, that's what I think too, but I don't know. Yeah, but it doesn't address that in the Iowa Code. And remember, we do have hospital lawyers when all else fails, and they have to go looking at the Iowa Code every time I, I ask them a question, so don't expect an instantaneous answer. Okay, if the juvenile is absent from their parents, with the consent of the parents, they're self-supporting and they have assumed a new relationship inconsistent with being part of the family of the parents. Bottom line, parents say, I disown you, you're out of here, and they're supporting themselves, they are an emancipated uh, minor. Now, these things do not establish emancipation in Iowa. They do in some states, but not in Iowa. If you're a parent, no. Now, what's crazy is that a minor can sign consent for immunizations for their child, but not sign immunization for immunizations for themselves, which doesn't make a bit of sense, but that's the way it is. If they're runaways, unless the parents have said, you're no longer my child, that doesn't, they aren't considered emancipated. If they're living away from home, out to college, whatever, uh, no, if they're living at home but essentially independent, they're paying rent, whatever, that is not emancipating. If they've graduated from high school, if they've graduated from college, still not emancipated. Member of the armed services. Now again, you can't become a member of the armed services less than 18 unless you have parental consent. Uh, so that probably isn't that much of an issue unless they got hurt and came in. If you certify that they are emancipated, that doesn't cut it. <coughs> okay, but there are certain exclusions to parental consent. Yes. Well, this is, I mean, what emancipated minor means is that you consider that minor an adult. So whether you use that word emancipated, I mean, I was trying to distinguish between what a lot of people say, they're mature. They're a mature minor, that's not legal. If they are truly emancipated, if they're truly an adult, it considered an adult in the Iowa law. So these are the things that, that whether you use the word emancipated or not, these are the things that, um, where they are considered to be an adult for all of our purposes. Does that clarify things? Because there are, I mean, that, what I said there, it's specifically in the Iowa Code, these things, uh, if, if these things occur, then this person less than 18 is considered an adult in Iowa law, whatever you want to use. Okay, this is the top one, obviously you folks want to know about. When the parents aren't able to give consent, and no one else is reasonably available who's legally authorized to give consent, um, and the condition based on your judgment so complicates the health of the minor as to require immediate medical intervention, then you can go ahead and treat them. But you have to write down why it is that you think that this is truly an emergency and uh, that you are unable to contact the parents. Yes? So you need to evaluate them. Right. Okay. Well, it, it's my understanding you can evaluate them. I mean, it, it, you can sort of triage. You have to see them and you have to treat them. And to provide a medical screening exam and stabilize them. And you them. must stabilize them. Okay. And that's, a, that's federal law that supersedes Okay. 
Now so stabilize that's, is so. That's into a different category than like a clinic. Like I yeah. No, I understand. Well, you but people, the patient walks in, you can say, well, they walked in and they look stable. Yeah, but like so you have sore throat, I have to evaluate. It could be epiglottitis. I mean, you, for every. For yeah, but in terms of treating. Well, then that could be your, your, your triage, just looking at the patient coming in. They're not, obviously, they're somewhat well, stable. Yeah, so then you, but then you still have to go, then you have to go ahead and call me. Then you have to try to get your, and then if you can't do that, you could, you could still write this in. Mm -hmm. yeah. If you thought there was something that needed to be done yeah. emergency. Yeah, That's so, right, but you have to decide yeah. whether they're stable when they walk in or not. Mm -hmm. If they're stable when they walk in, if it's just, you know, if it's bad sore throat, they're breathing fine, they're doing fine, okay, that's not an emergency. So uh, it's my understanding, as you mentioned, that you, you have to get parental consent in order to treat. If it's a laceration, you have to decide. Is this an emergency? Is this, does this cause this patient to be unstable or not? So, um, yeah, and, and as I kind of mentioned at the beginning, there are contradictions within the Iowa law. One place it actually says it's illegal to have sex under the age of 18. Okay, it's illegal for a minor to, to have sex with a minor, period. Now, that's pretty illogical when you look at all the rest of the provisions, okay. And it doesn't necessarily address, in fact, it doesn't address at all national uh, or federal law. So there are a lot of in, in fact, even as I'm speaking, there are a lot of areas for personal interpretation, and this is a huge one. That's huge. Substance abuse. If the minor gives consent to be treated, immediately everything is locked up and private. Okay. Now, some substance abuse treatment places take this, what I would consider to be extreme, in that if they, you know, let's say a parent drops their, their uh, teenager off at a substance abuse treatment place, they might call back and say, are they done yet? And the person at the other end of the phone might say something like, we don't even know if this person is here. That's how extreme sometimes they take it. Um, but theoretically, it's all um, locked down. Okay, we can treat for an STD or an STI. Um, we can treat for family planning. So, may apply for voluntary treatment, contraceptive services, screening or treatment for AIDS and other STDs. Shall not be disclosed except for statistical purposes, except for HIV testing. You have to let them know that if you're gonna test them, if they're positive, then you're required by law to tell their parents. Now, um, in the law, it says there are certain testing facilities that are exempt. This month, I called up the head of um, the HIV surveillance in the state of Iowa and the Department of Public Health, and I said, where are these facilities? Nobody seems to know, and he says, I can't tell you. Because I, I was told uh, a number of times, oh, the University of Iowa, they can do it. No. Oh, the free medical clinic, they would be ones. They don't do it. Oh, family, you know, Planned Parenthood, Emma Goldman, evidently nobody feels that they're under this. Thankfully, we have such a relatively low um, HIV positive rate. This, I've never been confronted with this, other than explaining to the patient. 
also I feel, you know, that, that teen is going to need every bit of support they can possibly have if they have HIV. And the vast majority of parents are in fact supportive, uh, bottom line. If you thought that that teen was, that teen's life or health was in significant danger, you could always call social services and bring them into it, bring the court into the situation as well. We're the only state though that has this. Um, and we do have to help them, um, uh, tell them exactly where they can get help and that sort of thing. I think all of us were given a pamphlet in the mail. Did everybody receive one of those from the Department of Public Health a couple of weeks ago? That kind of explains the, tr the changes in the law. It really doesn't change that much for adolescents, but um, at least we can call them up and say, hey, great news, you're negative. Before, they had to come physically to the office, which meant nobody was coming back to find out their HIV status um, in my clinic. And I imagine you folks would have less of a possibility of doing that. Mental health. The law does say that a minor can uh, ask to be admitted for mental health services. And parents also have the right to commit their uh, minor for mental health services, but the minor can object to being committed, and if they object, then, then a uh, lawyer is assigned by the state or the county to represent the minor in that, and bottom line is juvenile court decides at that point whether or not this uh, patient should be admitted. Yeah, you know, yes, but um, there might be other times where their life wasn't clearly in immediate danger? I don't know. Yeah, but, but that would supersede. I mean, that's the same with adults, right? So they would be in for 48 hours, and but in the meantime, have a lawyer assigned to them and be able to get out at that point. I actually did have to uh, do this one time when I was in private practice and a kid came into the emergency room. After his mother, who was a nurse, resuscitated him when she found him hanging, and um, he was belligerent and um, refused to be admitted. And I was able to get a, um, a judge within an hour to state that he had to be committed. Uh, minors can donate blood if they're 17 and older without parental consent. Uh, they, if they're 16 and above, they can with, uh, with parental consent. Minors can donate uh, anatomic gifts, a kidney or whatever, with the written consent of their parent. But this is, I think, is important. They can also refuse. In this day and age, sometimes parents, you know, have other kids for specifically bone marrow transplant possibilities for the older child, and um, they might get a lot of pressure. And it's good that in the law, it says no, they can they can refuse. Uh, Having laser hair removal <laughs> is illegal without a parent, and it has to be supervised by a physician. I just thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> now, in terms of sexual abuse, uh, if a minor is subject to any unlawful sexual conduct or forcible felony, they can have immediate uh, treatment without the consent of their uh, parents. And um, 
you need to let them know, your patient know, that you, you're required to report this uh, when it's a case of abuse. Okay, now I'm going to go through the various stages. This is the least severe but still qualifies as uh, child abuse. Unlawful for anybody 18, uh, for anybody over 18 who is in a position of authority over a minor to force coerce a minor with or without consent to disrobe or partially disrobe for sexual desires. Uh, sexual abuse in the second degree, if they have a dangerous weapon and are threatened. When the other person is under the age of 12, that's under there. Third degree, sexual abuse, if the act is done by force or against the will. If the other person is 12 or 13 uh, years of age, or if they're 14 and 15, and related by blood affinity to the fourth degree. Who of you knows what the fourth degree is? I have no clue. I asked my husband, the lawyer, and he said, oh, they have books that I have to go to and look for that. If they're in the same household, uh, position of authority, or if they're four years or more older than the other. Third degree, if they're under the influence of a controlled substance which prevents the other from consenting, or if they're mentally or physically uh, handicapped or incapacitated. Two weeks ago, uh, I had a patient come in who was raped during a party where she was, somebody uh, had intentionally gotten her drunk and she didn't realize that that was covered under Iowa law. I think most college students really don't understand that. Okay, for abortions in Iowa, again, this is different for every state, uh, you have to notify a parent 24, uh, 48 hours uh, before an abortion is done. Again, you folks aren't caught in this, but it's good to know. Um, if the pregnant minor objects to having their parent notified, then they can go to the court and petition. And a lawyer would be automatically assigned to them if they would ask for a lawyer. Now, if she says that she's a victim of abuse, of child abuse, and this has been reported and founded, then she doesn't have to have parental consent. Um, if she's a victim of sexual abuse of any sort, and, uh, and she has reported it to law enforcement, then she doesn't have to have uh, parental permission. Ours, yeah, most states, yes, not Iowa. That's, I'm just, I'm telling you what's legal, not what's ethical, and there often is a distinction between the two. Um, I probably shouldn't have said that while this was being taped, but <laughs> anyway. Um, you know, one example is a 13-year-old having sex with another 13-year-old. You got to report that? That's reportable. I mean, we're kind of mandated under Iowa law. Um, okay, if a physician certifies in writing that a medical emergency exists that necessitates an immediate abortion and puts it in the medical file, then yes, they can do the abortion, but, um, uh -oh. but then they also have to try to get a hold of the parents afterwards. Now, again, this doesn't, it doesn't affect you while you're in the emergency room, but 
a lot of physicians don't realize that in the Iowa law we're required to hand a video that describes the different options that a pregnant teen has and she has to sign that she has actually been offered the video and the workbook which talks about Yes, you can carry the pregnancy to term. You will get support from the state and other agencies, and you can give the baby up for adoption, or you could have the abortion. Yeah. No, it doesn't say that, that they can be forced to have an abortion. It just says that in order to have an abortion, the parent has to be involved. And in fact, I've been reading intermittently again in the papers instances like you mentioned and every time the parents have been told absolutely not this is ridiculous I've had a couple of situations where that was the case in my office and um, I simply sat down with the parent the mother and I said this is the decision that's made and our job is to support her in that decision and help her have a healthy baby um, because they don't have any right to force that on somebody but it's not addressed specifically there. Okay, confidentiality, obviously tremendously important for every patient-physician um, relationship. And it's especially important with teens. Most teens think that we're going to be telling their parents everything. And we need to let them know that what we talk about is confidential in general because it demonstrates respect for them, promotes them developing their autonomy. And there are a lot of studies that show that teens will not get care if they think that uh, we're going to talk to their parents about it. Now, again, this applies to the clinic, but I always think it's important to talk to the parents before you need, the need arises. You folks are caught when the need arises. Um, but because I always feel that parental involvement is preferred. And in fact, when I give my little talk to the parent and the child about confidentiality, I say, I encourage all of my, all of my patients to talk to their parents about anything important to them because truly I feel that parents are their greatest source of information and support that they have with a very few exclusions. Um, but, I also know that a lot of teens feel uncomfortable or embarrassed or for whatever reason don't want to talk to their parents about certain things and so whatever we talk about is going to remain confidential. Um, now you need to know a lot of times the adolescents want their parents to know but just don't know how to do it and are afraid of the consequences and so you might negotiate with them about that uh, and might make it easier for them. Because, in fact, it's impossible, almost, to keep secrets away from parents over a long period of time. And they might have a huge blow up at home when they finally do understand what's going on. And sometimes a parent needs to be involved, like uh, continuing the pregnancy, because the parent has to okay for medical um, care to be given to the pregnant teen. And, and I feel, as I say there, uh, substance or, or mental health treatment, I do think it's very helpful if the parents are involved and are supportive. I was involved for five years in a substance abuse treatment program where we actively tried to get the parents involved right off the bat. We, we asked the teens and encouraged them to have the parents involved. But these are the three reasons that you do need to break confidentiality, which probably you folks already know about. Um, those times that we're required by law 
that is abuse, if they are a serious threat to themselves or to others. And serious threat to self is a real fuzzy one. That's where all of us have to make our own decisions about what that means. It, it doesn't only cover if the teen says, I've got a gun in my car, as soon as I leave here, I'm gonna get that gun and I'm gonna kill myself. Um, how about the 16-year-old that I was just talking about who sometimes drives without and forgets what happened because of the amount of alcohol that she's been drinking. Is that life-threatening? Yeah. Do we tell the first time or not? Hard to, I mean, that, that involves a lot of individual uh, discussion. I can go more into that from personal experience. Here, here at the hospital, okay, here at the hospital, we have to have the parent say, yes, it's okay for you to see my teen, and they have the right to ask for everything, all the information. If I saw them in a, in a clinic that I owned, I wouldn't have to do that if it had to do with those issues that I talked about. Okay, uh, but I'm talking at, here at UIHC, that's what our lawyers have stated, and frankly, it's for payment purposes, period. No, you don't, even if the parents ask, you don't have, I mean, under Iowa law, you don't need to. It, um, now, you need to brainstorm with them about where the bill's going to go and how they're going to access their birth control pills or whatever. By the way, Planned Parenthood now can give birth control pills for free to indigent folks that don't, aren't on Title 19. The kids that are on Title 19 have it easier than the other kids because the bill doesn't go to their parent. All of, all of our children who are covered under our personal plans the bill comes to the parent, and it may or may not specify exactly what was done. The, the ones that I get in the mail from, well, historically from UI Care, they just say for medical services, for laboratory tests, for x-ray tests, uh, they don't say specifically what it is. But if the parent was with them, they didn't anticipate needing to have any tests done, and all of a sudden a whole bunch of tests are done, you have to talk with the teen about how you're going to do that, okay? Um, and I'll talk briefly about that uh, in just a moment. If you're going to break confidentiality, you need to tell them that you're going to break confidentiality and why it is important. Uh, and if as much autonomy or power that you can give the, the teen, the better. Ask them how, how they want to disclose. Do you want me to talk to your parents alone? Do you want to talk to your parents alone and then I'll come in? Do you want both of us to talk to them? Just to give them a little bit of a sense that they have a little control over the situation. And talk with them about what do you think your parents are going to do? All teens will tell, not, the vast majority of teens will say, my parents are going to kill me. Well, the overwhelming majority of parents will not kill them. There are a few, however, that might. <laughs> Okay, and you need to kind of distinguish that. Um, I would have to say that there are an awful lot of uh, teen young women that I treat who it's okay to talk to the mom, and both she and the mom say, but we cannot possibly talk to the dad about this, okay? So, because 
of his temper or whatever. Now, if you really think that they're going to cause harm, then you need to bring in social services. Okay, uh, record privacy is huge. Here, nothing is really private. Technically, well, minors can ask for the records. Uh, substance abuse information, theoretically, only the adolescent has control over that information. In fact, that's not true. With our records, what we put down on it, it's faxed and sent off as we don't have that, the teen sign for that. So there's no guarantee that the records aren't going to be uh, revealed to the parents inadvertently. If they ask for the records, chart control can, you know, copy and send. Um, so you, you have to be aware of that. And here, even though every single year we all have to sign the thing that says that we will not access IPR records unless it has to do with the treatment of a patient, there are an awful lot of physician parents who look into their kids' records. And so you have to, again, brainstorm with them about that. And frankly, if there's a teen who says, absolutely, I have to have 100% confidentiality about this, and if it has to do with reproductive health care, I, I refer them to Planned Parenthood or to Emma Goldman, where they can have their records confidential. In, if one was in their own practice, you could set it up so that you have confidential records. And theoretically, you can electronically as well, but we don't. Okay, confrontation with the angry parent once they realize it. You know, it, it's understandable that parents are really upset because up until now, they have felt like they've been in control they've, of the, the teen's health. They feel like they're a failure as a parent, and they're trying to regain some of that uh, authority. And so you have to, you know, be empathetic with them, uh, understandably. You might not agree with the behavior of their adolescent either, um, but again, regardless of whether you agree with the behavior or not, you need to be treating. And the ultimate goal is communication and support of the adolescent. Now payment, I kind of referred to before. Legally, if the, the minor consents, they're liable for the costs. So again, the teenager who says, I want to be tested for all STDs, um, <laughs> that's an issue. Now, um, frankly, if it's here, I, I talk with them about how are you going to deal with it when your parents get the bill. Um, but um, if they ask for birth control and all that kind of business here, I can't give a depot shot necessarily without the parent consenting for that. And uh, if you give them a prescription, they're going to have to pay for it. Um, now, again, something that most people do not fully appreciate is if the minor continues the pregnancy, the father is responsible for supporting the pregnancy and the child afterwards. If that child is a minor, if the, I mean, if the father is a minor, the, his parents are liable for support. I've pointed that out to quite a number of young women who have fathers of their babies who feel like there's nothing that they need to be doing whatsoever. Unfortunately, I would have to say that the uh, legal folks don't follow through as thoroughly as would be optimal, but that is in the Iowa law. So if you have a patient, you can uh, 
you don't have to worry about this, but in a clinic you can talk with parents way ahead of time, paying an unitemized bill. If they're on Title 19, that isn't an issue because the parent isn't responsible for the payment anyway. Uh, you can arrange for reduced payments or refer them to free facilities. For us, refer them to a free facility if they aren't on Title 19. Okay, and then I just put a bunch of uh, references. That top one is the one that you need to know. <laughs> or, or just Google Iowa Code and it'll send you there. So let's go way back to the beginning. Um, we've got a few minutes here to talk about the cases. And hopefully we can answer all of those. 11-year-old with gonorrhea. What do you do? What's our treat and report? Mandatory reporter. Regardless of who, yeah. 12-year-old, ask for contraceptive advice. You can give the advice. Give the advice. I, I, here we're caught. But we're mandatory reporters for a 12-year-old having sex. We don't know she's having sex, though. Don't tell me. Don't ask. Yeah, don't ask, don't tell. Yep. You could do that. You could do that. Yes. But. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. yeah. Now, I would contend that a 12-year-old really does need help. Uh, but, yes, you could. If you didn't know she was having sex and all she was wanting is information, you could give her information. 13-year-old who has a major depressive disorder, isn't suicidal, isn't going to be admitted, and are you able to treat if the parents don't want you? I mean, if, if she doesn't want the parents to know. This is not answered in Iowa law. So we assume that we cannot because it, isn't, it doesn't say specifically that we can. A lot of states say that you can as outpatient. Now, what I have done when I mean, this was exactly what was happening, and I had the 13-year-old was actually cutting herself but was not suicidal, and I said, I want you coming in, and she refused to, absolutely refused to let me talk to her parents about it, and um, so I, I said, come in at least weekly to talk to me, make the appointment at the end of the day, I don't care what reason it is that you need to come in, but, and I wanted at the end of the day so that everybody else isn't waiting for an hour <laughs> afterwards. And I finally was able to get her to talk with her mother and get the health care that she needed. Um, but that puts, a, a lot of times we get stuck in a very sticky position. 14-year-old tested for all STDs. Now, how many STDs are there? <laughs> so, obviously you have to tell them. <laughs> can't test you for everything conceivable that is spread sexually, but here's some things that we can. What do you also need to let him know about? The HIV. If he's positive, you have to tell his parents. And I would go ahead and do the HIV testing and, you know, have the form that you sign to say. Um, but you can call him up to give results. 15-year-old who's pregnant and wants to be referred for an abortion. What do you need to let them know about? Yeah, that the parent will need to be notified 48 hours before. Now, t technically you folks wouldn't have to because you'd 
you might refer them to somebody to do abortion counseling, but I think it's important that they know up front what the issues are. And then, you didn't ask, but she told you that she was going to marry the track coach. Mandatory reporter. So, I, yeah, go ahead. What questions? I had a case uh, at our community hospital. I forget it. She was 14 or 15, brought in by her parents. She ran away from Area 1 or whatever the place up in Cedar Rapids is called. Admits to having sex with, I think, a 20 year old, 21 year old. Dad says, I want her tested for everything. What, what do you do? I don't have to report, obviously, because the parents already know she's having sex. Yeah, but the authorities don't know that. Right. Yeah. So, there, but if there's no, yeah, he's not forcing her to have sex. So there's no, there's no abuse concerns. So you're a permissive reporter, not a mandatory reporter. You're right. If if he okay. wasn't living in the home, if he wasn't an uncle or okay. somebody like that, right? Yeah, because we. You're we correct. Abuse, we called the cops, and the cops said we're not going to investigate. Oh. You know what? They are supposed to. They, you know. 14 or 15, something like that. Again. 16 for sure. In private practice, I was put exactly in that spot. And it made me furious that I was told by the detective for sexual abuse, who had just given us a talk on sexual abuse at Mercy Hospital, he said, Oh, I know that family, and basically said they're white trash. And I said, So you aren't going to do anything about it? Oh, I don't think so. So this is one of those kids that you're going to find dead on the side of the road, huh? Yeah. yeah. And then, and, and social services wouldn't do anything because it's not child abuse. But I decided the father of this child knew that she was having sex with this guy. So I wrote a letter about child abuse. He knew that sexual abuse was happening. And through that way, finally, these guys got involved both the law and, but I was appalled because technically the, the, the law has to get involved. Yeah, because that's the thing. I mean, we called them, they said, well, she's saying we're having consensual sex. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to investigate. Called DHS, they're not going to do anything. Dad's like, I want the whole rape kit done. And the, the police said, we're not going to do anything with the rape kit, even if you perform the exam and obtain the data. We're not doing that is appalling. That's right. Right. That's right. Okay. And it is yeah, a crime. It is a crime. This one is, ma is mandatory reporting, but it's, but it's not to, the, to uh, social services, it's to the police. Well, at, no, actually, because she, he's in a position of authority. So, so that would actually fall under child abuse because he's on. Is is what I have been told. If it's a teacher, uh, it's considered abuse, uh, child abuse. Yes. But if she is not her teacher. I guess that's true. If she wasn't running track. So with this girl, the the fourteen year old that I had with the twenty year old, do I mandatorily need to report? You know. Again, that's where the Iowa law is not terribly consistent because it says that any minor who has been sexually assaulted that is to be uh, considered abuse. But then it also says it doesn't include that 14-year-old in the child abuse section, 
which and and I've gotten frankly differing opinions on it. Okay. You know it's illegal and I, I, that's really hard. And I would call up the hospital lawyer, but especially if the parent wanted to press charges, that is just amazing. Yeah, dad's like, do it all. I'm yeah. pressing charges. Yeah. I want the Yeah, you don't have to worry about that technically. I would tell dad, get your lawyer. This is illegal. You make sure the police follow through. I mean, that's so. Okay, 16-year-old. Um, you believe her drinking is out of control. She says, I'm fine, no problem. I, every year, when I go to the National Society for Adolescent Medicine meeting, I ask a group of folks around the table, what would you do? Half of them say, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't break confidentiality because that would ruin my um, rapport with the patient. I would negotiate with them and make certain agreements, and if they broke those agreements, then I would break confidentiality. The other half says, nope, the next time she drives drunk, she could die. Now I'm on that side, and the reason for it is I spent an hour and a half with a 19-year-old who you go down the cage or the craft or whatever, everything had happened to him. He had amnesia, he had vomiting, he had gotten in trouble with the law. Somebody who was, his girlfriend said that she thought he was an alcoholic, etc. And he refused to believe that this was a problem for himself, but he was an honor student at the university, and the only thing that he saw would tell him that he was out of control with his drinking is that if he got a C on an exam, the next week he was having midterms, he was going to come back the following week, and he had agreed not to drink and drive, not to get into a car with somebody drunk and driving. He never made it. He was killed uh, within the week by a friend who was drunk and driving. And um, now again, I still wrestle with this because he was a 19-year-old, he was an adult. Um, we don't force adults to have blood transfusions and other things that we might consider to be life-saving. So I don't know. But anybody under the age of 18 who doesn't see that driving drunk is life-threatening right then and there, I break confidentiality because of that situation. I, I could not have done more motivational interviewing and made more agreements with that guy. And it still happened, and I'm not going to let that happen again. So that's my personal decision, but all of us, you know, drugs and alcohol are really difficult what line you draw. Okay, deep laceration, I guess you'd have to determine how deep it was, if it was life-threatening or not, and, and sign it. Probably most of us would go ahead. But fever, cough, sore throat, if they weren't unstable, if he, you know, looked like 90% of the adolescents that I see with a fever, cough, and sore throat coming into the clinic, technically, if you wanted to follow the law, you wouldn't treat. But you could evaluate. Yeah, yeah, I think you'd have to evaluate him. Right. By him talking. Evaluate. Yeah, and then you'd say you go to your doctor tomorrow morning, first thing. We're writing the script, tell him call your parents. <laughs> That's touchy. Okay. Somebody that you thought had appendicitis may be ruptured, clearly an emergency, clearly you can go ahead and treat, but you do have to write it down and certify why it is that you think it is an emergency and the fact that you couldn't get a hold of uh, the parents. 
14-year-old, we talked about this. Um, parents don't have to know. In fact, again, the parents are going to find out if he needs to have regular visits to a substance abuse treatment center. And I have to tell you that I have had one patient in maybe not hundreds, but a whole lot of patients with substance use. One patient who came to me and recognized that it was a problem. Usually it's the parents that recognize it's a problem before the, the kids do. Um, so this doesn't happen very often where you can get them into uh, treatment without parents or court saying this is what's going to happen. No. And that's why that's pay that's why I even talked about is, payment. Is he available for, is, can, you, can you apply for IO care <laughs> at 14? Maybe so. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know that they would do it. But you know what? If a court appoints, if a if a judge set, mandates that they have to have treatment then the state of Iowa has to help determine how to pay for it. But in fact, most of the time, it does fall back on the parents' insurance and payment, too. But if the parents are indigent, that would be covered. So a lot of gray areas, and I wish that it was different. And, uh, but at least, again, I'm telling you what's legal, not necessarily what's right or ethical as we perceive it. And... Um, but at least you know where you stand if you go exactly by the letter of the law. Other questions? You know, again, we've got two hospitals in town, and I've been in a situation both sides where the parents have said, no, I want them treated at the other hospital, and if you go ahead and treat, I don't know. I, yeah, it, it, within t you have to evaluate, and I would imagine UIHC is going to charge for that. It's not our problem. It's not our problem. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> How many of our patients pay?